Hello and welcome to Healthy Debates, episode four of the Healthy Podcast. I'm your host and Healthy Magazine Editorial Director, Ellie Hughes. In this episode, we're picking apart all things nutrition, which is the theme of the latest issue of Healthy Magazine. On each episode, I'll be joined by three expert guests and fellow journalists to debate, dispute and discuss a series of health and well-being topics. If you like the sound of that, remember you can pick up the latest copy of Healthy Magazine in your local Holland and Barrett store and on newsstands across the country. Or head over to healthy-magazine.co.uk to get your digital fix of all things natural beauty, food, fitness, health and well-being. Joining me today is healthy editor Anna Beryl, journalist Hattie Parrish and our special guest, nutritionist Fiona Lawson. How is everyone? Yeah, good. Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, very well, thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Fiona. Thank you for having me. Um, let me know about your background. So when did you train as a nutritionist and what, what took you in that direction? Oh, gosh, it's a fairly long story. I'll try and give you a, a shortened version. Um, so I used to do what you guys do. I was a journalist and an editor. Um, and I started out in the world of gossip journalism, which is looks terribly glamorous <laughs> from the outside, but it isn't so much in the inside. I mean, it is a lot of fun, but it did mean working hard, lots of late nights, um, And my health, I didn't have a dramatic health issue, but I just noticed a few niggling things that started to sort of bother me over time. But also during that period, my my older sister um, became quite ill. And I I won't go into the details because I haven't actually asked her if I can tell the story. (laughs) But um, she made a dietary change and within three days she was completely fine. And I just thought, oh my goodness, it completely exploded my paradigm of what diet and what food's about. So I decided to to go back to school to study. What um, was the change that she made? Um, she just cut one particular thing out of her diet. Um, but I don't, I won't say it because I don't want lots of people to go and think they have to do that because it's it's all individual. Um, I, and made other kind of lifestyle shifts as well. But the the change in her was dramatic. Um, So I went back to school. I studied for three years at the College of Naturopathic Medicine while working, which was an education in itself, to be honest. And then I've been seeing clients for almost two years. Um, And it's a really, really gratifying job. And it's so compelling and so interesting. But I do have to stop myself from sort of lyricizing about ginger to my husband (laughs) (laughs) over the breakfast table but yeah yeah it's a popular area isn't it do you feel that more people are seeking help from nutritionists and and thinking about the role that diet plays in their i absolutely do yeah and i think it's we're living in a really interesting time because in terms of science in general i mean nutrition is is a baby it's not even a toddler yet you know how we can look into things is um has really developed. I mean, even 10 years ago, nobody was talking about the microbiome, mm-hmm. all these 100 trillion bacteria that are in our gut. Yeah. But now it seems we're now discovering they impact more or less everything. Um, and my litmus test is always my dad, <laughs> to be honest. He's sort of grown up just eating nice things and liking it. But even he's been asking me about, you know, what he should eat, what he shouldn't eat, what he would benefit from. And to me, that's quite incredible. Yeah. And I think doctors now are also starting to look a bit more into perhaps the nutritional side of things because they don't even get trained really, do they? That, that much yeah. in nutrition compared to no, everything they, else. No, they don't. I mean, I, depend, I think it depends where they go. I think the average is around eight hours nutrition, which, you know, in my training, I had 200 clinic hours alone, let, let alone all the, the lecture time. Um, 
but that is changing and I think it's a really positive thing because so much of nutrition and eating well it's not the solution for everything but I wholeheartedly believe it can help everything yeah mm. I mean we I absolutely agree and that's yeah. why for this issue we did do a deep dive into nutrition as our as our topic um for this issue of the magazine I think I mean it's our October issue so it, for, for me it feels like a very natural time to be really focusing on nutrition we were all coming out of quite a long hot summer where perhaps yep. we weren't <laughs> as good as we might have been yeah. those those summer evenings at you know drinking and dining our first go with friends it's a really nice time to kind of take a look and rebalance our systems before going into the kind of Christmas festivities. So and also when all the germs come out, she yes. says totally <laughs> selfishly. <laughs> Poor Anna has struggled, struggled in bravery today with well, the cold. I know, my husky tone. Very husky. And being totally selfish, what, what would you recommend to someone who gets, you know, seasonal cold flu? What should we be eating to tackle it? There are lots of things, but I'm going to take a step back and be really boring and say that you could eat the best thing, the best things in the world, but if you're not resting and you're not oh. sleeping well, it's a huge part of it because you do a lot of your healing and regenerative work when you're sleeping. Aside and I'm that, a bad sleeper, so this is you? not good news. Yeah. Um, but you can, uh, you mentioned Manuka honey yes. earlier, that, that studies actually show that can re- reduce the kind of the coughing and the spluttering you get when you have a cold. Good news um, for colleagues. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good times for you. Yeah. Also zinc lozenges, they can reduce the duration of a cold oh, okay. very slightly. Um, but really rest is is number one. It's the key. <laughs> good to know. <laughs> so Fiona, you talked to um, Hattie this issue, didn't I did, you? yeah. About particularly the impact of our nutrition on our skin. Mm-hmm. So what would, what is the link between what we eat and our skin? Oh, there's, where do I start? Um, it's hugely connected. I mean, on a really basic level, what you are eating literally becomes you. So I don't know the exact statistic because I don't think there's any real consensus on it, but we believe it's about every seven years, you won't have a single cell that you have today. And that's because you've all regenerated. So certain tissues regenerate more quickly and others are more slow, but in seven years, your whole body is basically new and your foods provided the raw material for that to happen. But the other way food massively affects your skin is through this microbiome, through these, it's, it's about two kilograms worth of bacteria, fungi, protozoa, archaea that live in your intestines. That's almost as much as your brain. It's that much. And it's now sort of referred to as the forgotten organ, mm. really. So we know that these bacteria and how we feed them and how happy they are, that can affect our skin. We don't yet know the mechanism, as in we don't know how the messages are traveling from the gut to the skin, but we know it's happening. Um, so given that, that it is a massively, um, as you say, area of science that's in its infancy, what foods would you recommend that are a good bet for our skin? I think a good starting point is always more vegetables. Again, it's not sexy, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but there, there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, one, you know, you have you ingest a certain amount of toxins every day, especially living in London. The pollution is kind of off the scale here. But even every time you spray perfume, even that's an aroma chemical that your liver then has to detox. So normally, and I'm going to be a little bit crude here, so forgive me, you poo out things, you weed mm. them out, you can sweat them out. And if all those kind of exits and avenues are, are backed up, it's going to start coming out your skin. 
and that's when you see people have skin issues. Um, so you want to, to eat in a way that looks after your liver and eating lots of plant foods with lots of fibre helps actually you to excrete those toxins more easily. Um, the fibre in those plant foods also feeds the bacteria and it feeds the good bacteria and they're kind of on your side helping you in that job as well. Mm. And that touches on another feature actually we've got in the issue about fibre and how really we're eating not anything like enough fibre, probably not at all. Just slightly over half what we need per day. Yeah. So are there particular vegetables that you like? How do you make them more interesting? Um, when you have clients that just say <laughs> that they don't like them, what would you say? Um, so I would say uh, root vegetables, so things like your carrots, parsnips, sweet, beetroot. Root vegetables do really well if you roast them because it brings out the natural sugar. And so do we need the skin on? So if you're having like a squash or something, is it better to keep the skin on? For some people, yeah. Uh, for other people, the skin can actually be a bit too much. So you kind of have to, to go with, try it and then see. Um, but roasting it with a bit of coconut oil and a few fresh herbs, that's an amazing way to do it. Um, in terms of your green leafy veg, those are really nice sautéed with garlic, maybe a little bit of ginger, some chili flakes. Um, it's all just about pimping your vegetables. Mm. <laughs> so just make the most of these amazing selection of herbs and spices that we have. And it kind of just that you think of them, if you don't like them for themselves, think of them as a vehicle for other flavors. And am I right in thinking you're a bit of a fan of tofu as well? I do like tofu. <laughs> yeah. It's a funny one, tofu. It's sort of gone through the... Anything in, in food goes in trends, really. And, and tofu's been one of those, whereas 20 years ago, we were all being told to eat it. Then people started to get a little bit fearful of it in some ways. I do think there's a place in a diet for a really good bit of organic tofu. I think it's a nice plant-based protein. I actually love having it for breakfast. Which breakfast? Is a bit weird in a scramble? Or, uh, no, no, not in a scramble, no. I have... um. I slice it and I sort of I fry it, not in oil, just dry fry it. And then I have it with kimchi and a few salad leaves. And I do know that sounds crazy. Honestly, if you told me 10 years ago I'd be eating that for breakfast, I would have thought I was mad. Um, but it's I really satisfying. I breakfast this morning. Also yeah. respect that. <laughs> <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of cake? Carrot cake. So it's basically oh, vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. That's another way to get vegetables in yeah. your diet. <laughs> Just going back to the tofu, how are you whacking flavour into it? Because it is like a sponge, isn't it? It's very bland unless mm. you're kind of hitting it with, I don't know, soy or some, you know, you like can marinate it. and what have you. You can marinate it overnight. But to be honest, I'm all about eating well easily and there are loads of really lovely brands that have kind of pre-flavored tofus but I mean natural flavors so they've got herbs in them maybe a bit of nigiri for a bit of saltiness or smoked tofu is also nice every now and again. So how much tofu would you eat in a week or recommend eating in a week because you're right there has been a bit of controversy mm. about it and it is one of those foods that comes I and goes. I would say 100 grams of tofu once or twice a week I think it's fine for most people. Again, every individual is different, but I wouldn't be worried if people were eating that. And what would that be? So that'd be a good size serving? 100 grams. It's about, it's about the size of your palm, which is actually generally a good guide for protein amount. I'm sure you've all heard that before. And again, it's individual for you because it's in correlation with your size. So my palm is much smaller than my husband's, unfortunately for me. But it's, it's, <laughs> um, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a good guide. So... What are the worst foods then for our skin? Can we get away with some sugar or is that really not allowed? Um, again, it depends. Um, if everything else in your life 
is really kind of on point. So you're sleeping well, you're exercising appropriately, you're eating loads of vegetables, a little bit of sugar here and there is fine. If sugar is a huge proportion of your diet and the rest of your lifestyle is a bit out of whack, then it is going to have an impact on your skin. Um, in, in many ways, it, eating lots of sugar causes um, your body to release insulin, which is, although very useful and we need it, it can be pro-inflammatory. Um, eating lots of sugar also causes advanced glycation end products or AGEs, which lead to wrinkles down the line. Um, we are eating too much sugar, but I actually have a different view on this. I don't think the issue is having that odd bit of cake for breakfast, Hattie. <laughs> it's not odd. <laughs> I think it's it's when we're eating sugar and we don't realise. And actually, I um I was going talking to a client the other day, and she'd had a bag of balsamic vinegar flavoured crisps, and we looked at the ingredients, and there was actually more sugar in those crisps than there is in a chocolate bar. So it's just you just got to be a smart consumer just mm. look at the labels and if you are eating sugar just at least know when you're eating it mm. um, and this leads us quite nicely on actually to Hattie's article where she looked at carbs mm-hmm. um, another topic about which there's you know a lot of a lot myths of and misunderstanding yeah. and debate and controversy um, and one of the things that I found really interesting was your point about hidden sugars mm. and talking particularly about breakfast cereals that can have the equivalent of something like eight teaspoons of um, sugar that affects on your blood glucose levels throughout the course of the day. So it's those hidden sugars watching out, watching out for those. Yeah, and eating sugar first thing like that. It, so your hormones sort of all work in symphony and they all generally start out at a certain point in the morning. So if you do something to disrupt them early on, it kind of plays out like that for the rest of the day. So if you eat something really sugary for breakfast, most people find that their appetite is raging for the rest of the day. Whereas actually studies show that if you eat protein for breakfast, like tofu, um, your appetite is is much more controlled. And one study showed that people just naturally eat about 500 calories less a day because they're that much more satisfied from eating protein in the morning. So for people that maybe find tofu and kimchi a little bit out there for breakfast. <laughs> which is fair enough. Which, it is, know, it is there may be there. some people out there that feel that way. What would you <laughs> recommend for them? Um, there are lots of things. So eggs are great. Um, nice full fat Greek yogurt is also good. If you choose not to eat those kind of things, so you can have, you know, there are re- really easy ways to increase your protein intake. It's sort of sprinkling nuts and seeds on your porridge. You can even have tofu scramble, which is, you know, very delicious. And again, a great vehicle for other flavors. Um, and flaxseed as well is another good option. Okay. I had flaxseed on my porridge this morning. So I'm nice. I've got a tick there. It's full of fibre yeah. as well, so that helps. Um, so just a final question. And what are the worst foods? I mean, I, I agree with you absolutely about balance and everything's okay as proper balanced diet. But if there really are some key culprits that you would point the finger at as things we should really limit, what would they be? Is this in terms of skin just or in, in general life? I think in terms of skin. In terms yeah. of skin. Um I would say I don't really like using things, the words like worse and terrible and bad because I think that is also quite unhelpful when people are trying to change their diet, not to criticise what you've asked. Um, but in terms of what you might want to really yeah, limit. I would say um, alcohol. Again, Ooh. I feel like the fun police. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's just your your body doesn't like it. And actually when you drink something, you stop all a lot of other processes really and your body's priority becomes getting that alcohol out of you um 
really, really sugary drinks as well. Um, because, because it's a drink, it enters your, the sugar enters your bloodstream much more quickly. And again, that causes a quite a large insulin response, which you don't really want. Um, I think that's it really. I think it's much more beneficial to focus on what you should be having more of, because if you eat more of the good stuff, you kind of naturally crowd out the not so good stuff. So that is just a really simple tactic is to at every meal fill half your plate with really vibrantly colored vegetables. Make sure you're getting a bit of healthy fat with everything that you eat because that helps your satiety. Good sources of protein as well. Um, and also just enjoying your food. You know, if you're if you're feeling bad about what you're eating, that actually physiologically affects how your body responds to it. Whereas if you're eating something that you perceive to be a treat, just enjoy it, really make the most of it, and then move on. And it, again, it affects how your body responds to that food. So thank you to Fiona Lawson, our nutritionist for today. I think that was uh, some really interesting and very usable tips there from Fiona. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So moving on, um, Hattie, you were going to talk to us about your carbs feature that you wrote for this issue. What did you find the most surprising or interesting in this feature? Most interesting, I think, was that both the experts I spoke to, so Faith Tugard, our dietitian, and Anthony Warner, the, the angry chef who a lot of people will know, the main thing they spoke about was that food is something to be enjoyed and that the social aspect that can come with cutting something is actually huge. Some, quite similar to what Fiona was just saying, that if you're not enjoying it, if you have guilt attached to the food that you're eating, it can actually be quite harmful. And I thought that was a huge point they both made. And and then obviously just the whole side that carbs really should be normalised. They're not a bad thing. And if you turn them into this bad thing, you create this unhealthy relationship. So how has it happened then, do you think, that they have become demonised? I think it's, from speaking to them, it's the kind of fads. We always want to find something new and exciting, like keto, for example. Not saying that is a bad thing, but a lot of people have latched onto that and for that have taken sorry have taken from that that carbs are bad which isn't the case and it's fads and things like that and then obviously health risks that overindulging can cause um like diabetes obviously is the big one but the issue here is the overindulgence it's not the carbs itself and I think that applies to any food group really you know you shouldn't overindulge in anything and yeah it's just about normalizing them really. Um, portions have got out of control. Faith made a very good point. She said how um, we, she used the, uh, like a carton of rice from like a Chinese takeaway as an example of what we see a single portion as now, which it's is mad. Huge, isn't They're it so now, huge. Isn't it? And she said subconsciously in your head, you'd be like, oh, well, that's a normal portion. And that's the issue. And then you polish the whole thing off. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is what I'm meant to and, eat. Yeah. And like, and potatoes, she said, absolutely great, full of great vitamin, sorry, vitamins and minerals. But then we roast them covered in fat. We add these creamy sauces. That's the problem. And we eat like half a plateful, which is mad. And she actually referenced something that Faith, um, sorry, that Fiona was saying earlier about the hand method. And that's really how we should be measuring our food because it's relative to all of us. And yeah, really, the problem isn't carbs at all. It's just the way we've come to consume them. And I think it's also, it's such a difficult sphere to navigate now mm. because we're being constantly bombarded by information eat this don't eat this and I think people are now just a bit confused and I kind of include myself sometimes in that as well yeah definitely um 
But I mean, again, it's not fun. It's not sexy. The only way to overcome that, I think, is just to be sensible. It's that easy. We all know we should eat more whole grains. And it comes back to the fibre issue. That's a huge thing to do that. But don't punish yourself for enjoying white pasta every now and then. And it's about going back to kind of a more using your common sense, really, isn't Mm, it? It is. Yeah, it's sensible and what works for you which is different for everybody. And so it's hard to give blanket advice. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the points I enjoyed was, um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember which expert it was that said it, but that we've been eating potatoes and rice for years, Mm. hundreds of years. And we've only just really become obese very recently in the scheme of human history. So it seems a bit mad to blame the carbs. It's obviously what we're doing with them. Having said that, there obviously are distinctions between the different kinds of carbs mm. and the more refined ones, which are perhaps not as good as your whole grains and your potato skins and what have you. Did your experts have much to say on, on that? Yeah, so of course they said do when you can opt for whole grains, like whole, what's the other one? Like wholemeal, you know, like couscous, breads, pastas, rices, all of those which, you know, is easy to do. And if you buy good quality, you're not really going to notice the difference. And I actually think they're tastier personally a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, they also said, but also don't beat yourself up if you do eat a big bowl of spaghetti that's refined one day, like it's not the end of the world, you know. So yeah, it's just a sensible approach, which is what people want to hear. But you yeah, know, and I think actually a lot of the issue does come back to that sensible approach mm. and that guilt, you know, taking away the guilt of eating and, and being allowed to have a treat now and again is, is absolutely fine and we all need it. Yeah. So going on to your feature, Anna, you looked at, or you're going to talk today about the food myths and oh, the yes. kind of things that do confuse us and that certain other publications, not our own, obviously, like to of course not. scream hysterically about, you know, burnt toast gives you cancer, that, that kind of thing. So we did a deep dive into some of those key myths for we this issue indeed. and set the record straight. What did you find the most interesting? Well... Firstly, I think just going back a little bit, I think our head on this really sums up the article quite well. So carbs are bad, breakfast is good, sugar is toxic. And we are, it goes back again to being bombarded by all this information. And basically, we're confused. You know, you've got a new report coming out every other day saying, eat this, don't eat this. Um, And one of the most interesting and possibly I guess one of the most obvious is um, the myth that we should aim for five portions of fruit and veg a day. So that's a minimum, not a maximum. But the way that story has been conveyed in the media, I included, assumed that was the maximum, that's what you're going for. And really, we should be aiming for 10 portions of, you know, fruit and veg um, a day. Which sounds like quite a scary amount. And I, I eat a lot of vegetables. I, def- mm. I do do the fill half my plate with vegetables every day. I actually, I am one of those strange people that does love dark green vegetables. Yeah. But how else can people get more vegetables? Well, I think, I mean, apparently only a quarter of people are managing to hit, you know, five veg and fruit a day. So it does feed into the idea that this is tricky. But I think it's also about variation, um, being prepared making some more conscious decisions. I think everyone, especially at the end of a working day, gets home and you kind of fall into a rut. You fall into your routine about what you usually make. So I think it's about mixing it up, kind of not just, say, having, I don't know, courgettes or your kale. I think it's about 
making more of a mix. So if you're having stir fries or stews or doing like a simple tray bake, getting more veggies in there and pulses. I think it's actually quite an easy thing to do. She says being vegetarian, so finding that easier. But I think it is um, achievable now. And we're coming to soup season as well, so that's a nice... My favourite yeah. season. So, I mean, this is the, um, the time to win on that. Um, another interesting one, and I think obviously very current right now, is that a vegan diet is the healthiest. Obviously, veganism at the moment is very trendy. And I think what can happen, especially when something is, in quotation marks, trendy, people dive feet first in and they don't really think about it. So it's really easy to fall into those traps of just cutting out meat, fish, dairy, but not really thinking about what you're eating, where you're getting those kind of um, minerals and nutrients that you would from animal-based products. Um, So I think that's a really interesting one. Um, Another interesting one, and it also touches on uh, what Fiona was saying earlier, um, that sugar is completely toxic. And that falls under our myth. And obviously, while that, you know, we're not advocating eating a lot of sugar and the ramifications of eating a lot of sugar are obviously well known. Um, I think one of the, I'm going to read a quote actually from this because um, Dr. Ruxton sums this up probably better than I can. Um, So the World Health Organization examined the evidence in a systematic review and found that high sugar diets do promote obesity, but only because of the calories. So there was no difference when sugar was swapped for starchy foods without sugar. Um, So there wasn't this link with overall intake and obesity, but it did conclude that sugar and sweetened drinks increase risks of weight gain and type 2 diabetes. So it is that difference. And again, I think it is the way information is kind of filtering down to us. It's kind of people are picking up on the headlines rather than delving down on what we should and should not be eating. Yeah, it definitely feels to me like we're having a bit of a um, kind of recalibrating or rebalancing. So there's been the huge surge popularity of veganism, yes. which I think will carry on. But to your point exactly, people have been jumping into it. And now there's a little bit of a moment of reflection of actually the health halo that surrounds it. Does it really deserve it? What do we need to add to a vegan diet or has been to think about the vegan diet to make it as healthy as it can exactly. be. It's not automatically no, in it's itself not healthy. Just, exactly. It's not by saying we'll cut this out, we'll cut this out. It's then what you need to do to supplement it mm. to make sure you are getting everything you need. Yeah. And I think, again, a lot of it comes back down to the eat real foods, cook when you can, exactly what Fiona was saying. And, yeah. And making more conscious yeah. decisions. There can be, um, it can be easy, I think, to, to kind of fall into eating a lot of processed foods as a vegan mm. but perhaps giving a bit of thought around those exactly yeah. and i mean the trend for kind of vegan junk food has not really helped that yeah. as well delicious as it is <laughs> exactly uh, good to eat but probably not what we want to be attaching to this um and in episode two of um extra healthy debates we had gaz oakley so the avant-garde vegan on discussing you know why he turned vegan and all about how he kind of maintains a balanced diet so if you're interested in that, make sure you download the the episode. Yeah, really interesting stuff. I'd mm. recommend that highly. So moving on, obviously, we've also got the answer to all these questions, Anna, in the food section of for the magazine. Of course we do. <laughs> and it's always a really exciting food section, I think, this time of year, because we are coming into autumn. People want to start having comfort foods and exactly. perhaps thinking a bit more about what they eat. And we're sick of salads. Yes, yeah, we are. As well, much as we love yeah. them. 
So awesome what delights have you brought us for this this issue? So our main recipe feature um, comes from Lorna Jane Clarkson, um, who we probably know as the Australian wellness guru, um, who has this powerhouse behind the um, Aussie sportswear label, Lorna Jane. Don't know if you guys are familiar with her food as well. No, I have some for sportswear, but it was this was news when I saw it. Yeah, it so she does some really great dishes. Um, and this issue, you know, it's autumn, so we're going back to our squashes, our root veg, our soups, our comfort food, but they're all veg-packed and look absolutely delicious. I mean, on my list is the uh, pumpkin and cauliflower soup with tahini cream. Hopefully this will cure... My ailments right now. Um, I think tahini is definitely having a bit of a moment, isn't definitely. it? It's definitely yeah. is. And I think with tahini is going to be a winner. Um, and I guess I'm going to slightly disagree with Fiona here. I mean, with this soup, I think it's key to keep the uh, skin on when roasting your pumpkin for a sweeter flavour. So that is, um, I would say, my top tip for that. And what I particularly like about um, Lorna is that she is also a fellow sweet-toothed person. Um, so she gains extra points in um, my book for saying that she always likes to have a little sweet treat at the end of the day. And she's got this amazing chocolate fudge um, recipe in this issue, which is not the average um, fudge recipe, which you'll be surprised to hear. So it's kind of packed with almonds, coconut, cacao, dates. So you've got kind of your fibre, potassium, magnesium um, going on in there. And it's so easy to make. Um, and so it looks amazing. It, looks so it does. Yeah. It says Hattie yeah. looking at longingly right now. Follow up, up your chocolate. Yeah, you follow up your carrot cake with a with mid-morning. Your, I know, balance. quite right. Um, and we also have a lovely brunch feature from Deliciously Ella from her new book, um, best-selling book, no less, and that's all around plant-based um, cooking. So again, very relevant right now. Um, and it, it's kind of going back to easy long brunches which we all want to do let's face it at this time of year when you're kind of hibernating a little bit more um and she's got this amazing recipe for corn fritters with smoky baked beans and avocado smash and these are possibly the easiest baked beans to make um so they're kind of nice and smoky from paprika um and the best thing to do actually is to make loads more of them and they'll keep for days in the fridge so quick easy batch cooking Mm, exactly i'll have to try that i used to have um one of her delis near me, which is now sadly no, no longer close. with us. So I have to start off. cooking myself. Exactly. What better time of year to start doing yeah. that? Looks delicious. Okay, so shall we move on then from nutrition? I think we've had I a pretty good so. chat and we all feel we should be eating plenty of foods and never feel guilty about anything we exactly. eat ever again. That's that's the bottom <laughs> line. Hattie, you were the brave person in this issue that went off and tried a new crazy Mm. fitness thing although in this way it wasn't such a trend it was more of a, a kind of an ongoing or classic sports activity yeah which was touch rugby it was and so as we all know we had a very hot summer i went to this place i think it was down near waterloo it was 33 degrees on this oh. day and um as i'm sure many know it was on a 3g pitch and 3g pitches are covered in these thailand little black pellets which if you've ever 
been on or have your kids been on, your house gets full of them. I'm still, I, I know that first time. I'm still finding them in the bed. Like, oh, my God. And so that ramps up the heat even more. So it was ridiculous. And then my only hairband broke, which is why people were wondering why on earth I was doing it with my hair down. That's why. But you made it through. I, I love that. It. I love that's on. your main point that you want to make is because one I, of your hair's down in the face. It looks so stupid. If it was that hot, what was I doing with my hair down? I think anyway. I said to Hassie, I'm very impressed, you know, for your pictures. You've kept your hair down. It looks great. Yeah, total mistake. No, hairband um, malfunction. Yeah. I mean, I think that was the heat as well because it was a plastic one. I think it melted. It was insane. But um, it was so much fun. I don't know. Yeah, it was so much fun. It. I don't know if it's for me. I don't really have the build and my coordination is terrible. I'm mostly through the ball at the ground. And you know how they bounce funny rugby balls and it would hit someone in the face and it was quite awkward. <laughs> but it was it was great. And I, what I really loved was that it was a mix. It was men and women playing alongside, which you don't see in sport much no. at all. And it didn't feel like the men had any particular advantage or the women did. You know, we it felt very level, which I thought was a brilliant thing. And I'd love to see in more sports. Um, I'd say people should try. It's really physical. You get a great workout without really noticing because you're focusing so hard on trying to do all these things. The rules are insane. I got very, very confused. So can we go back a little bit? Yeah. Because I am not very familiar with touch rugby. So can you just yes. explain a little bit about what that yeah, actually I should is? Do so. so if I can remember, like I said, the rules are mad. So you can, as a, with regular rugby, you only pass backwards. But then if someone on the opposing team touches you, you have to put it on the ground behind you and someone from your team can pick it up unless you'd passed it and then the ball had to turn over to the other team. But then I always forgot when it had been passed and when it hadn't. And I might have said that completely the wrong way around. This so sounds please, very confusing. So please go and check on the O2 Touch side. I feel like I we need to kind of caveat in the way we do with our health articles yeah. here, which is like, you know, seek expert advice. <laughs> I do, because <laughs> my pain. God, it's confusing. But it's a laugh. And if you had a bunch of you who just fancy trying it, it would be really, really fun. Um, and yeah, it was a good, good workout. I did, as I said in the article, get the only person who managed to be knocked to the ground by the biggest guy on the field, you can see in like the group photo, he's the tallest person there. He managed to take me down and on a like sweaty, sweaty day. Lovely. Big man on top of you. <laughs> wasn't what you want. Great. Um, but I was going yeah. to ask you about your size, actually, because you, you are quite a small person. Mm. Did that make a difference or? I don't think so. Only in terms of being not to the ground, obviously. Um, I'm not the strongest person. Um, which in regular rugby matters. I guess it doesn't in this. It's more about being quick and nippy and kind of like how a winger would perform on a normal rugby team. You know, you're not so much in the thick of things with touch rugby. It's more about moving around, ducking and diving, that kind of thing. And yet having good coordination, which I do not. <laughs> so is it, is it a sport for anyone? Do you have to be quite fit or could anyone really have a go? I think I think anyone could have a go. We played for ages. You wouldn't normally play as long as we did because we trained. So you might need quite good in stamina, you know, and endurance, depending on how long you're going to do it. But also, if you are a bit tired, you don't have to be running all the time. You can kind of just jog along behind so everyone. how long is a typical game? Um, so a match lasts no longer than about 40 minutes. Um, it's generally divided into two halves of 20 minutes, but I think they can be less. We did it for about 30 minutes. Yeah, so it's not too long. You could do it. I think you can kind of so mix it So what kind up. of training are you doing before the game? So we were kind of doing all just kind of basic warm-up stuff and then practicing passing, uh, doing all these like mad press-up things where you've got the you know, ball under one hand so you're really unbalanced and then all these things where you like stand back to back with your partner and do the ball like around your sides and then over your head and under your legs and 
it looked really weird and balls were flying everywhere. <laughs> and it was, it was again quite funny. And what about the team sport aspect of it? I mean, I we often do cover team sports and healthy. And I, although I don't play any, I love the idea of them, and I think it's something that women should do more of. And I'm always quite jealous of my husband who gets to go and just play football every Wednesday night and come back having seen his mates and have a nice workout. Did you enjoy that? Did it feel different to you? I mean, how, how used are you to doing team yeah. sports? Yeah, so I'm the same. I don't really. I go lie on a reformer Pilates bed and I'm in my own world. So doing something with other people was actually really lovely. And because we learned it all together, I think that added another aspect to the kind of team bonding. And at the end, we we're all kind of hugging, even though no one knew what the school was because we were all so <laughs> confused. But it was just really nice to have that bonding experience and yeah and I think if you haven't tried team sports anyone who does team sports will know what I'm saying um then you should give it a go just for that maybe because it was it was a really lovely thing to do I think it sounds brilliant and the photos were a bit like you were having fun <laughs> yeah. yeah would you do it again oh yes but I'm gonna wait for the winter yeah. <laughs> Not so, hot. Yeah. so we'll put the details in the show notes of how people can find out and get get more involved and touch up because mm. I think that sounds like it might be a bit of a trend bubbling under yeah Great. And they are keen to get a lot more women involved. And I do think it, it's really women friendly. So, yeah. Great. That was the second episode of Healthy Debates. If you liked what you heard, then you can check out Extra Healthy Debates, the Healthy Debates bonus series, when we chat to a special guest about the health choices that have motivated their lives. On episode three, Anna talked to the Irish food writer and occasional Saturday kitchen host, Donal Skeen. To make sure you don't miss out, remember to hit that subscribe button on your podcast app. And if we put you in an extra good mood, do share the love of the review and a five-star rating. Thank you for listening. <laughs>